killing the world as they prove to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. When I'm killing, I'm always proving it's the same. Yeah, the hottest podcast out there. Oh, yes. Very informative. When I'm home, Tim, I'm always tuned in for days. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home, Tim, in the world, I stay tuned to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. appreciate you doing that hopefully that way if we can learn how to agree to disagree and we can live like people when I make the hard topics I say the hard things I make the thing itch scratch so if your itch is not scratching and you scratching on the itch maybe you need to look yourself in the mirror so I'm not here for no drama I'm not here for no nothing just to learn, 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 and edify. This is from learning situations only. So I'm not here to get anybody's hairs up. So again, thank you. And hopefully we can agree to disagree. preparing to engage with the Biden transition team? And if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Right. is that the FBI had the Biden crime family laptop for a year. They knew it was leaking. They knew it would hurt the Biden campaign. So the FBI used its relationship with Twitter to suppress criminal evidence being revealed about Joe Biden one month before the 2020 elections. You ladies and gentlemen interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news, it's gonna get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. 
your attorney. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to spend five hours with these ladies and gentlemen during depositions surely yet to come. But for right now, I'll yield the balance of my time. The Belt and Road Initiative, um, well, I don't know how successful it's going to be. Uh, it's, it's a very long-term program. Don't measure it in five years or ten years. I think, you know, in a minute, several decades, maybe 50 years, something like that, because we're talking about a huge, uh, a huge project. Um, but if it's even half successful, uh, it is going to transform not just the Eurasian landmass, it's going to transform the world as we know it. Now, let me draw your attention at this point to this map here. The center, where is the center of the global economy? Well, this is from Danny Kwa, who's now at uh, Lee Kuan Yew School, but it was LSE. And uh, in 1980, Danny Kwa estimated that the center of the global economy was here, in the Eastern Atlantic, where you'd expect it to be. It was essentially, the global economy was essentially a transatlantic economy. And then slowly it's been moving, uh, like here. And at this point, it is somewhere around here. So actually, not too far away from where we are now. Uh, uh, and by 2050, he estimates that it'll be on the Sino-Indian border. In other words, what we're witnessing is the shift of the globe, center of the global economy from here to the Eurasian landmass. This is going to be the engine of global development. This is going to be the center of the global economy. It's also it follows in time will be the center as it were of the global polity um, and so this is a extraordinary uh, uh, shift uh, that in some i mean i think this is taking place quite frankly anyway the question is the speed the, the speed will be accelerated by the success or otherwise uh, of the Eurasian uh, of the of, of bri um, and it's worthwhile at this point also uh, uh, remembering that, you know, that where we are with the state of the global economy. I mean, these figures are from Huang, um, uh, uh, Huang, uh, uh, Huang Gong at uh, Tsinghua University, um, but there are lots of figures uh, uh, that are similar. This is uh, GDP measured by uh, purchasing power parity. Uh, for 2030, he estimates that China will account for one third of the global economy. America, you see, is 15%, EU, 13%. The second biggest will be, nine, will be India, 90%. 90%. Of course, India and China are the two key components in, term, in population terms uh, of the Eurasian uh, landmass. So we're talking about not just the landmass, but we're talking about a huge global shift. We're here at the Hindu temple in Los Angeles with Jordan Maxwell. Jordan, could you tell us what are the connections between Christianity and the Hindu faith? Hindu faith is the mother of Christianity. You would not have Christianity if it were not for the Hindus. The Hindus gave birth to Christianity. What about Abraham and Sarah? What about them? Isn't there a connection to the Indian Brahmin or Brahma? Of course, as I said, Hinduism gave the world Christianity and Judaism. Judaism and Christianity came from India. 
Hindu. What about the connection to Sarah, Abraham's yeah. wife? Where does that come from? There was no Abraham. Abraham never existed. There was nobody ever named Abraham. There was a religious belief system in India called Brahman. And you put an A in front of Brahmins, it becomes Abram. And that was the name of Abraham before he changed his name to Abraham, to Abram. And Abram comes from the Brahmin religion of India. And in the Brahmin religion, you have a goddess. The goddess name in India was called Saraswati. Saraswati. So you have Abraman and Sarah or Abraham and Sarah. There was no Abraham, Abraman and Sarah Swazi, period. So there was no Abraham. So when you hear the different religions say, we're an Abrahamic religion, we're an Abrahamic religion, like the Muslims are an Abrahamic religion and the Jews are Abrahamic religion. There was no Abraham, never existed. What about the Trinity? What about it? Brahma, Vishnu, Siva, Osiris, Isis, Horus. Thank you. And there you have it. Right from. See, y'all got to do y'all investigation on these clowns, y'all. Because, you know, everybody got the answer. Keep on telling you, everybody got the answer. Everybody got the information. What he's saying don't line up with the Bible. So do your investigation and stop listening to these clowns, man. Do you think that the aggressive imposition of sanctions against Russia, coupled now with the clearly provocative uh, noises about the situation in Taiwan, is this a fragile power reaction in the sense that this is some sort of uh, desperate effort to reverse everything you've just been talking about? You know, when you look at the world map, uh, Rick, and you see most amazing continental span that runs from, um, you know, the edge of China all the way out perhaps to the end of France, if not Britain, although Britain increasingly under the leadership of Boris Johnson wanted to be part of the United States. So, you know, there's always that. But that massive Eurasian landmass has over the course of um, the last 20 years or so been more been integrating um, with a greater and greater density. So just take two examples. Um, increasingly, and we don't need to get into this, but as a consequence of US sanctions on Iran, as a consequence of um, the really criminal war against Libya, the Europeans have had to rely more and more on Russian energy sources, particularly Germany, as you know, about 35% of its energy was supplied by Russia. So there was a kind of energy integration taking place between Europe and Russia, at least. Over the same period, there's been an integration of the Chinese economy uh, with Europe. 17 countries in, in Europe joined the Belt and Road Initiative. Poland, not for ideological reasons, but for practical reasons, 
joins the Belt and Road Initiative. Italy joins the Belt and Road Initiative. One saw a kind of historical integration of Eurasia taking place. The United States actually had an interesting problem when faced with this. Uh, what does one do? Does one accept this historical integration of Europe and Asia, including Russia, in, in, in this new configuration? Well, no. The United States, first during Obama, but then Trump and now Biden, have tried to either prevent that integration or to delay it. Well, how have they done that? putting pressure on European states not to use Chinese telecommunications. That was the first salvo. You remember, don't use Huawei, it's dangerous and so on. The pivot to Asia to militarize this entity called the Quad to try to put pressure on China and so on. So in my opinion, the, the squeeze on both Russia and China have been because the United States is unwilling to deal with this historical integration. So certainly it's a sign of fragility. Could you give us your perspective on the uh, future of the United States over the next uh, 20 years and, and, and kind of what you would say uh, to your children and grandchildren, and I speak as one with gray hair, uh, and, and how they should uh, take care of themselves personally? and how to bring this down to what I believe is the collapsing United States and to those who uh, are my friends and relatives who continue to live in the United States of what they should do to take care of themselves. Well, there's no way in which the United States can avoid collapse without uh, canceling the debt burden that is deflating the economy. Uh, as long as it uh, has uh, so more and more of the income of uh, uh, working families paid uh, to the mortgage uh, banker, to the uh, uh, other bankers, to the credit card companies, for the health insurance uh, companies. There's no way that uh, uh, they can afford to buy goods and services. And there's no way that the United States can compete with other countries in an economy that is basically a, uh, an inefficient rentier economy. Uh, if you were to give uh, American uh, factory workers uh, all of the clothes, food, clothing, everything they consume for nothing, they, uh, with a zero wage, they still couldn't compete with uh, uh, China and uh, other countries because the money they have to pay for their apartment, uh, the money they pay for the bankers, the money they have to pay for their uh, financialized retirement fund, the money they have to pay for medical insurance is so high that uh, they, they, they still couldn't compete. So uh, unless there is a radical structural transformation of the United States, uh, it's going to uh, end up looking like Latvia. Uh, so what I would tell uh, uh, people looking to the future, if you want to see what the United States will look like, look at Ukraine. Look at Latvia. Uh, that's our future. It's exactly the same. The dynamic that the United States has sponsored on foreign countries is the same dynamic that's in its own country, except that Latvia, Ukraine uh, don't have uh, other countries uh, subsidizing it uh, to the extent that the United States do. So the question uh, is, uh, you already in the 1970s, People thought that the natural uh, evolution would be for American uh, technical uh, advisors, uh, technicians, middle-class labor to move to Russia. 
as Russia uh, transformed itself uh, into a more uh, uh, efficient state. Uh, many American people I know have moved to China, uh, Hong Kong and China. Uh, it looks to me like uh, just as uh, Ukraine and Latvia and Lithuania and uh, Estonia, uh, the popu young population of working age is moving uh, to these countries uh, elsewhere in order to get work. That's what's probably going to happen to uh, uh, the, Ameri the young American generation. So it helps to learn a foreign language, folks. <laughs> just make sure you choose the right foreign language. <laughs> China. So before we close out, the last thing I wanted to uh, just get your thoughts on is, you know, we, we just came off of the, the latest meeting at uh, Davos. And, you know, I've been looking at things like the World Economic Forum for a while. And, you know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, the, the World Economic Forum has it all figured out. They're going to do this, this, and this. Uh, you know, there, there's a very conspiratorial view of the World Economic Forum. I take a more cynical view in a lot of ways. I think a lot of what I see coming out of the World Economic Forum is uh, I, I think there's a lot of delusions. I think the U.S. has delusions. I think the the 1% have delusions about what they're going to do going forward to keep the train going. Uh, I was wondering, do you agree with that assessment or uh, do you have another view on that? Well, the question is, what are they solving? Are they solving uh, the problem of how the 1% can get richer? That's what they're trying to do. Or are they solving how to make the 99% more prosperous? That's not their aim. Uh, their aim is how, uh, how can we live in a world where there's uh, too much uh, population, too many people that are not helping us make money? Well, the solution cut back the population. If you're not making money for American investors and for corporate Europe, what's the point of uh, growing? It's, uh, uh, they're, they're solving the question of how can we make money financially without working? How can we get a free lunch? How can we become more efficient parasites treating the host? And the question is, how long do they have to keep the host economy alive to keep bleeding it? Uh, so essentially, their solutions are uh, those of a parasite sitting on a host and thinking, how should I manage this host so that it will feed me the most? So before we close up. So I want you to really listen to what he just said. Y'all. It kind of hit me. See, y'all don't... Y'all... I'm just going to keep... You know, it's a whole lot of people in this world with Hue. H-U-E. And it's just a small part of the people who don't have Hue, H-U-E. So, how, how, you know, when he, see, one thing y'all had to realize, when he say, car, Caucasian is European. Caucasian is European. He said, making money for the European corporation so all these people with hue got these small amount of nations that's running this whole country that don't have hue they about to blow up this they, they about to terrorize this whole world up and the people with hue 
allowing these people without you to do all these things. You see, that's why that's why they set this up with the police and let these police come out here ignorant and doing all this wild and and and, and crazy stuff to try to keep us down and had a jail system and the criminal system to, to level us down. Y'all need to start thinking about it. I know some of y'all when they say European, it don't really, really click to you talking about Caucasian people. The European nation, the UN, the European, 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 when you, most of the time when they talking about European, they talking about white Caucasian people. All these white Caucasian people has got their foot on all these people with heel. Got their knee in the neck. Just like that, that image that they had, that that police had that knee in my man neck and they took a picture of it. That's how they got the whole world with heel. And y'all don't even see it. That's the main thing you ain't looking at, bro. And we sit down here going through a corporation and an ideology thinking it's work. But it's just oppressing, killing our families and doing all these slick stuff. And now they're sitting up here with this vaccine, COVID, COVID, COVID. And everybody out here, you know, don't even know going by what somebody else say. Gotta be better than that, man. Gotta see better than that. And what y'all don't realize, man, that the most high is at work. The most high is at work, y'all. You know, anything that happens in a, in a, in a, in a way, you know, is the nature of God. That's why y'all got to be able to, to be ready, man. Because you know, when stuff happens, y'all got to be mentally prepared. Y'all can't be sitting out here, you know, stuck looking goofy. Can only be described as devastating after a series of earthquakes that left thousands dead and tens of thousands injured with a death toll that is expected to continue to rise. With a horrific new reality setting in for the millions of residents who were impacted, countries are lining up to send aid and assistance. But for Syria, the U.S. continues to show no mercy. That was made clear by State Department spokesperson Ned Price when he was asked if the Biden administration would consider moving to help the Syrian people by lifting the crushing sanctions the U.S. has imposed against their country. It would be a great gesture. Another gesture would be to sort of lift the sanctions that have basically, you know, suffocated Syria. It would be uh, quite ironic, uh, if not even counterproductive, for us to reach out to a government that has brutalized its people over the course of a dozen years now. Y'all hear what he's saying? You seeing you seeing people in America and all over the world, the Caucasian man is so slick, right? The Caucasian man got a whole lot of games with him. 
he'll say words and try this is how they say these words to try to throw the thing on other people you know the man said to take the sanction off of him. She said take the she said take the sanctions off of him, right? But they didn't want they don't want they they don't they don't want to try to help nobody. They ain't trying to do the right thing. Can I want y'all to check out what she said. Listen. After a series of earthquakes that left thousands dead and tens of thousands injured, with a death toll that is expected to continue to rise, with a horrific new reality setting in for the millions of residents who were impacted, countries are lining up to send aid and assistance. But for Syria, the U.S. continues to show no mercy. That was made clear by State Department spokesperson Ned Price when he was asked if the Biden administration would consider moving to help the Syrian people by lifting Watch the, the white man lie. Watch the U.S. Watch, has yeah, imposed against their country. Would be a great gesture. Another gesture would be to sort of lift the sanctions that have basically, you know, suffocated Syria. It would be uh, quite ironic, uh, if not even counterproductive, for us to reach out to a government that has brutalized its people over the course of a dozen years now, gassing them slaughtering them, being responsible for much of the suffering that they've endured. Years of propaganda and alleged chemical attacks that turned out to be staged aside, what he's really saying there is that the establishment elite in Washington still have a chip on their shoulder about the fact that Bashar al-Assad is still in power in Syria, despite all they've done to try to overthrow him. And no one knows that better than Ned Price, as he was a key member of the Obama administration's National Security Council after years of working for the CIA as an intelligence analyst. He's one of many, including Joe Biden, who have shown time and time again that they do not care about the Syrian people, even when their war-torn cities are left crumbling from massive earthquakes. In fact, in all of the countries where the Obama administration demonstrated its ruthless, destructive, bomb-driven foreign policy, Syria was one of its favorite targets. But of course, it didn't start out like that. When the protests began in Syria back in 2011, they had the makings of a CIA-inspired color revolution. The media called it an uprising, the start of what they would go on to refer to as a civil war. And the Obama administration publicly kicked off a campaign of their own using the catchy slogan, Assad must go. I am confident that Assad's days are numbered. The world will not waver. Assad must go. That Assad needs to go. It is just further evidence that Assad has to go. He is no longer legitimate and that he needs to go. President uh, Al Now, you see, you see how they they say somebody must go. Obama, I told y'all, y'all keep on rocking with Obama like y'all want to. Now, how in the heck you going to try to tell somebody they got to go and they doing all this mess to us? Over there, regulating other people, countries, and, and don't uh, even want to look at they they they, they keep them going. Assad has lost legitimacy. Assad has lost all legitimacy. And as is always the case, they claim that it's all about freedom and democracy, and about ensuring the will of the people, just as long as what the people wants was approved in Washington. That's why when the protests didn't lead to any meaningful change, Obama decided to take things a step further. He signed a secret order in 2012 that gave the CIA 
and other US-linked agencies the go-ahead to provide support to anyone who supported the overthrow of Assad. Yes, even if those individuals were violent extremists. But Obama publicly insisted that they were just moderate rebels. And yet, despite all of the millions of dollars the US poured into things like the Syria Train and Equip Program, it was never enough. And Obama always had an excuse as to why his moderate opposition had yet to overthrow Assad. Take this interview from 2014, for example. We have spent a lot of time trying to work with a moderate uh, opposition in Syria. But uh, as I said yesterday, uh, when you get farmers and dentists and uh, folks who have never fought before going up against a ruthless opposition in Assad. And despite all of those excuses, the Obama administration never seemed to have an explanation for why this group called ISIS suddenly exploded out of nowhere, benefiting greatly off of the power vacuums the U.S. had helped create in the region, or why the U.S. was ramping up bombing in Iraq and Syria, yet ISIS continued on undefeated. And who knows how long that would have continued if Russia hadn't stepped in to support the Syrian government in their fight against ISIS in 2015. That support forced the U.S. to back off over concerns of a direct conflict with Russia. It seems kind of ironic now, doesn't it? But it's yet another reminder of why the U.S. sees Russia as a threat. Because they stepped in and helped prevent Washington's planned government overthrow in Syria from becoming a reality. While some politicians acknowledged that the U.S. needed to back off focus on matters at home and let Syria and Russia deal with ISIS, Donald Trump came into office and put a stop to the CIA's program training so-called moderate Syrian rebels in 2017. Of course, it should come as no surprise that the Washington Post tried to argue that Trump only did it because Russia wanted him to. Despite moves to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria, Trump made it clear that he didn't order all of the troops to leave and that there was one key reason why. We've secured the oil and therefore a small number of U.S. troops will remain in the area where they have the oil and we're going to be protecting it and we'll be deciding what we're going to do with it in the future. If the U.S. Now, they over there in them people land dictating their oil. We gonna, we gonna do this. They over here, but they other people over there and they dictating the oil and, and this and that. So this whole thing is with the control of the oil. Listen to it now. The whole thing is to get in, because we already know how United States is about this oil thing, man. So they went over here and the whole nitpicking and Mashad would die or got to go on whatever is what he probably wasn't going with the program of how the United States wanted to get this oil. He, he, he wasn't going with their policies. And y'all keep on thinking this is the game. Y'all playing game. That's why, that's why the most high got to come to these people and do what he gotta do. That's why y'all gotta get y'all life together, man. Isn't illegally profiting off of another country's natural resources. I mean, are they really trying to bring them freedom and democracy? Also, not surprisingly, Joe Biden left all of those policies in place when he came into office in 2021. And just like that, the truth about U.S. foreign policy in Syria went from being a conspiracy theory that would get you silenced by big tech to a reality that is now acknowledged publicly by many. But that acknowledgement will never undo the damage that has been done 
done in Syria, or the pain that civilians have been forced to endure as they've lived for years under crushing U.S. sanctions in fear of U.S. bombings. In 2018, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights reported that more than half a million people have been killed in the last seven years due to the war. It's also estimated that more than 13 million Syrians were displaced, with nearly 7 million refugees fleeing to other countries. That includes Turkey, where the southeastern region that was hit by the massive earthquakes this week was filled with millions of Syrian refugees. After visiting Syria in November of last year, a top UN expert on human rights issued a plea to the West to drop their sanctions against Syria, noting that 90% of the population was living below the poverty line with limited access to food, water, electricity, shelter, cooking and heating fuel, transportation and healthcare. As you can imagine, that was just made even worse by this week's earthquakes. And while the West refused to offer aid to anyone but the Al-Qaeda-linked white helmets in Syria, independent journalist Vanessa Vili noted that it's countries like Russia, Iran, and Iraq that are stepping in to help right now, but not the U.S. A reminder that the establishment elite in Washington are still so bitter that despite all of the money, resources, and propaganda, they weren't able to force the civilians of Syria to bend to their will, and now they're more than willing to leave them to suffer in the face of natural disasters that are making the conditions they've been forced to endure under years of war perpetuated by the U.S. that much worse, because the reality reality is that in the eyes of the establishment, it was never about what was best for the people in the first place, and that's something everyone should be talking about. If anything in this video... So, y'all gotta be, y'all gotta be on here and think these people caring about y'all. Y'all ain't nothing but pawns in their game, man. If they don't get a whoopee-doo about these people over there and over here and they trying to do all this, we already know. See, people don't even want to be real about it. We already know what type, what these people are, um, they, they, they mindset is and what they capable of doing. And it's so thick, y'all. That's why the most high got to come over here and handle his business. That's why, that's why the Most High showing you all these things that's going on right now because the, it, 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 you already know it's t- it, it, the time is almost up. It's close, y'all. It's it, 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 it slowly unraveling, and when all I'm just waiting for is how most of y'all gonna act when y'all find out really about when this dollar bill start hitting y'all, like it's no more, it ain't worth it. So how I'm how I had to get my hustle now, what type of hustle I got to be on now? See, that's the that's the mindset you got to have. What type of hustle I got to be on now? Not trying to figure it out when when, when you in the, when you in a suit. Y'all gotta get right, man. Mindset, knowing who your enemies are, and watching out for these handkerchief Negroes. And you know we got to watch out for them handkerchief Negroes. And always, man, just get yourself right and start doing them commandments, man. You know, 
if we would have continued doing what we supposed to do in, in our nation, all this crap right now wouldn't have happened. But the most I already knew that we was going to fall in there. And then we, and when you read the scripture, we went into slavery and the slavery and the slavery. So this time we in this long slavery and this strong captivity with the wicked. There's a whole lot of people with Hugh, and they allow a whole lot of people with not Hugh to just destroy the whole world. That don't even sound right. That's why the Most High got to come down here and handle his business. Let's get it. Have you ever been hungry and can't eat? Have you ever been thirsty and can't drink? Have you ever been tired and can't sleep? What would you do if you knew you were all three? I've been down and down when nobody cares. Brain mm-hmm. falls down, you ain't got no choice but wait. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's a hard life, it's alright, gotta get back up somehow, don't count me out. Hard life, it's alright, gotta get back up somehow, don't count me out. Hard life, it's alright, nigga get back up, you gotta fight, boss T. In the book, in, and this is from McCoy, but late Empire. And McCoy, the historian McCoy, who wrote a very good book called Shadows in the American Century, which I would recommend, he writes that empires at their beginning actually use military force very carefully and very judiciously. Empires at the end, in decline, engage in catastrophic military adventurism that fuels the decline in an attempt to restore a lost greatness. So you look at, for instance, the end of the Athenian Empire, they invade Sicily, the entire Athenian fleet is sunk, most of the soldiers are killed, the empire's over. You look at the Suez Crisis, the British Empire's in decline from the end of World War I until 1956, Nasser nationalizes the Suez Canal, the British invade with the French and have to retreat in humiliation the pound sterling is dropped Hmm. as the world's reserves currency and the British economy goes into a tailspin. That's the death of, well, Coy actually gives it a date, which I would never do, 2030. But the, so we have 17 years of warfare. It, it, there was a front, there's a front page story about the debt. Did you read the story on the side? Can you just hand me that? I mean, I forget the figure, it's like three, Thank you. I, I, I'll read the Times tonight. Uh, I haven't. I just read that. Yeah. What may soon exceed the cost of the U.S. military? Interest on U.S. debt. Uh, with a de- within a decade, more than $900 billion in interest payments will be due annually. This is what happens at the end of empire. You extend yourself militarily beyond your ability 
to sustain it financially and the cost in order to carry out this military adventurism this is Thucydides mm -hmm. is to just hollow out the country from the inside so Thucydides writes that the tyranny that Athens imposed on others it finally imposed on itself why because the military adventurism is so costly your roads are not maintained your public libraries are school your your you know the crown jewel of American democracy is our public school system and we are watching it be destroyed mm. and and so as you hollow the country out from the inside you use the harsher forms of control which I've spent 20 years reporting on on the outer reaches of empire militarized police suspension of civil liberties wholesale surveillance revoking basic rights like due process militarized drones it's all coming to a town near you and and that's how empires go down so yes the military adventurism is important but it's just a piece and to we've got to stop personalizing this issue around Trump we've got to stop thinking that the Democratic parties are going to cough up some magic candidate um, and 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 the Christian right my study of the Christian right was extremely important in terms of feeding my understanding of where we are why so I write a book on the Christian right it's called American fascists the Christian right in the war in America I was trying to reach out to them and um, and I got a lot Bill Moyers did not want me to use the word fascist and I actually when I finished the two years of reporting I sat down with Michael with uh, Robert Paxton who wrote Anatomy of Fascism and Fritz Stern who wrote The Politics of Cultural Despair and left Germany as an 18 year old two of our greatest scholars on fascism and I was with them for several hours and I just threw everything I had found and I wanted them to be able to argue me out of using that word. And at least to my mind, they could not. Israel will face a major earthquake, and likely in the not too distant future. History tells us that uh, every about uh, 100 years there's a very large earthquake, magnitude 6 uh, or above, and every about 1,000 years there's a magnitude 7 occurring somewhere along the Dead Sea fault. The last big one, 1927, the 6.2 magnitude Jericho earthquake left hundreds dead and thousands of buildings destroyed. Is Israel ready for the next one? It's partly prepared and um, a committee was formed and uh, it is supposed to coordinate the activities of the different government agencies and, and the ministries. Um, we also have developed a, a, a system for early warning, but this is good only when the earthquake is already happened. An early warning system may help people scramble from buildings before a collapse, but too many of Israel's buildings are vulnerable to falling down. A report by the State Comptroller's Office last month said 600,000 buildings in Israel are not strong enough to resist quakes, including most of the earthquake-prone Galilee region. Buildings constructed before 1980 were not legally required to be that strong, but of $1.5 billion allocated to strengthen Israel's older buildings since 2019, less than $2 million of that has been used in the seismically active north. For many, the Tama Urban Renewal Program is the only chance at upgrading building safety. 
While construction is still outdated, emergency response is not and has been preparing for a major quake for years. Israel's Home Front Command and emergency services practice regular drills and urge residents to make plans as well. Make sure that you have an escape kit in your in your house. Make sure that all your all your family uh, knows what to do in the case of an earthquake. Go immediately outside. Go to your uh, uh, safe room or go or go to the uh, stairways. Wait wait uh, over there. But ultimately, there are limits to both preparation and construction. A major quake that hits without warning, like the one that ravaged Turkey and Syria, would devastate Israel all the same. Meaning, you see, uh. The Most High is not happy those people in our, in our land doing what they're doing. These people predicting, they know what's going on. It said it happened back then when they went in our land and corrupted. And the Most High put the shakes on them. And then the Most High finna shake them all up again. They in our land, y'all. They, the they doing the wicked stuff in the Most High land. And, and and they think it's all right. And they trying to prepare for something that they don't know what they're going to get. This is the prophecies, man. We got next. In order for us to get next, stuff got to happen. And you're seeing it unraveling. We the true children of God. Deuteronomy 28. Read that. And see what the Most High said. All that is slap in the face. Because if you can't understand that, then the, the, the book is not for you, man. You, 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 the book, this book is not for you. If you can't understand Deuteronomy 28, then this book is not for you. You know, if you look at how AI is operating now, I would say it's making us much stupider. <laughs> now, part of the problem it's making is stupider is combined with mind control. So someone could argue it's not the AI making us stupider, but it's the mind control. But I would suggest that it's a combination of both. Yes, because so, I have uh, seen uh, your uh, description of the project to essentially inject a control system, an operating system inside human beings, which seems to be the hidden purpose behind universal mRNA vaccination with graphene uh, nanoparticles, right? I mean, it's something so, that's been verified uh, scientifically. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, conspiracy theory. Well, he here's the thing. I I would say if you, if you look at what we know about what is in these injections, you know, we know basically they're killers. Um, there's a lot we don't know about the serious the the what I call the secret ingredients, and that includes the graphene oxide. So, researchers that I know and trust have found small amounts of graphene oxide, but they found a lot of other things like stainless steel particles, and and it's clear that there are many different batches in different places. This is not one thing. So, I think the unanswered questions about the secret ingredients are still significant. I do believe they're trying to get an operating system in, in the human body, and Moderna has called the mRNA technology an operating system. I, th I think there's going to be a lot of breakthroughs on the medical front, uh, particularly around the synthetic uh, mRNA. Uh, you can basically do anything.
with uh, synthetic uh, RNA DNA. Um, it's really, it's like a computer program. So, so you know, so so they sing as much, but uh, they have been whether whether you look at the food or whether you look at the spraying, they have been injecting sort of secret ingredients in our bodies for a long time. It's not just COVID nineteen injections. It's a much secret ingredients is a much bigger problem, and it's one of the things that is literally poisoning millions and millions of people. So so this push for involuntary transhumanism is happening. And and the question is how much of this is to try and install an operating system and how much of it is just to call the population. Let me ask the final question. Uh, what is, in your view, uh, the next step, especially with regard to the dollar? What will happen to the dollar system in the coming, let's say, two, three, five years? And as part of that question, what do you think will happen to a country like India, since uh, we are hosted by the India Foundation and there is a keen uh, amount of, uh, there is a lot of interest in, in India, a lot of discussions about where India should go. Uh, should it in some way enter into that BRICS system if it comes out, if it uh, happens, or should it, uh, like some advocate, rather stay closer to the West, uh, you know, because of the affinity with the English language and the historical connections with the US and all? What is your view of uh, what uh, think, the way things are evolving? So, so if I was going to get on a spaceship and leave for 20 years, and I had to, I had to make a decision as to where I was going to put all my investments. Uh, you know, so because uh, I couldn't trade them for the next 20 years, I could just come back. I would, I would put an enormous amount of money in India, because if you look at India, um, India has a very tough role to play but they are more than capable of playing it and that is they you know because India is big enough and it has a rich enough history and culture that it can function in a multipolar world and work with all sides now there's tremendous pressure to be aligned with one block or aligned with another I I don't know enough about the internal baseball to know, but if I was India, I would try and bridge them both. And if I had to choose, I would go more with China, Russia, and, and you know, you're part of the Eurasian landmass. You, you can't have Russia and China on your border and not be intimately connected and trading and operating with them. But I I would try and bridge the two. I, I would try and bridge the two worlds. And I think India has the size and the intellectual power to do it and the people who can do it. And if you look at your demographics and the youth, you can, you have the potential to do that. And one of the things I've always loved about working with Indians is the, the capacity to deal with complexity. You know, I come from a, a country that can't deal with complexity. <laughs> Americans want, over Americans want to oversimplify everything. Yes. It's not a problem in, in India. You know, it seems to be a problem when you're getting the post office working in India. That was... <laughs> yeah, but they handle it. That's the thing. You know, they even like yeah. complexity. You know, they I know. And they're, no, but they're great at it. I mean, they're really great at it. And in a multipolar world, you have to celebrate complexity. You have to enjoy it. You have to be good at it. So, you know, I think India is scheduled to, to be very successful. Now, 
part of why I say this is, um, you know, India several times has stopped. The, the West, you, you, and this is the problem with simplicity. They come up with a theory on how they're con- going to control and rule the world. You know, like controlling the GMOs in the in food, and that's how they're going to they're going to use intellectual property law to control food and the seed supply. And the next thing you know, you've got the Doha round coming into India and trying to, you know, kill all the Indian farmers and they push back and stop it. So India stopped a lot of ridiculousness at great price, at great price. But it's because they seem to not, you know, Americans are very good at leaving reality behind and not worrying about reality. Creating Whereas, it, as they said, I think one of your <laughs> statesmen said, we create our own reality and we need right, to do right. And, and and so, you know, India's been great at saying, you may create your own reality, but that doesn't work for farmers and cows and water and, you know, canals and rivers. You know, we have to deal with reality here. And part of it is, you know, America has had the wealth to waste a huge amount of money trying to pretend that, rea- you know, reality is their official reality. India can't afford that luxury. I mean, they've got real villagers and real farmers and you know they've got to deal with a lot of real assets they've got a lot of people they can, you know they can't pretend so um but india has stopped a lot of crazy business in the global economy for that reason and you know i for one am very grateful mr porlet can i ask you when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission how long did you know that without saying it publicly thank you very much i'm sorry to that question i mean we we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans- stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Now, the government of India had some very sound and cogent reasons for not actually giving authorization for the Pfizer vaccine to be distributed here in India. Principal among them uh, is, of course, the fact that Pfizer had placed a series of conditions uh, before the vaccine could be made accessible in India. Uh, Pfizer had also, in fact, said that the government needs to basically waive Pfizer of any responsibility in the in the event that the vaccines proved ineffective in the country. Basically, asked the government of India to sign an indemnity law which protected Pfizer from any kind of prosecution under the provisions of Indian law in the event something was found wrong with the way in which the vaccine was administered or for that matter its lack of effectiveness. In case of any side effects or if somebody died, Pfizer would not be held responsible. Pfizer CEO in Davos being exposed over the ineffectiveness of the Pfizer vaccines and being asked tough questions. But it reminds us of the time when political parties in India, particularly the Congress party, its leader Rahul Gandhi, likes of Jairam Ramesh and even likes of Arvind Kejriwal were batting for foreign-made vaccines. We remember the tweet of Arvind Kejriwal who said and he quoted that the Pfizer vaccine should be made available as soon as possible for the children. The Congress party too was batting for all kinds of relaxations to be given to the Pfizer vaccine. Today shouldn't this entire ecosystem which was openly batting for this foreign-made vaccines and degrading the Indian-made vaccines apologize and tell us what deal they had. It didn't take me very long to figure out that so much of what is going on 
humans are not being told. We are not being told the real truth. And I've got a couple of things in particular I want you to know. And I want you to remember. Nothing in this world, nothing works the way you think it does. There's always more to the story. You hear about some marriage breaking up and the husband did this, the wife did that, and it's very obvious what happened. No, it's not obvious what happened. There's a lot more to the story you don't know. You don't know her background, her past. You don't know his past. You don't know what was going on in the family. You have no idea. So it's nothing is simple. This is why I have courts. So I found that nothing in this world operates the way you think it does. Banks do not loan money. Governments are not empowered to protect you. A uh, police department is not there to serve you. Um, institutions of higher learning, colleges and educational institutes are not there to educate you. The entire superstructure of civilization in the Western world is a, is a combination of brilliantly put together and planned, well planned schemes to direct the to direct the minds of the people in such a way as to serve their masters and i've known that for a long time and one of the biggest uh, uh, tools in the hands of the masters who run this world is hollywood hollywood is an incredible story uh, i've said this and maybe many hearing me now have heard me say this but i'll say it again that the white man's establishment comes from Europe and in northern, southern, well, all four, uh, northeast, south, and western Europe, uh, even at the time of the Roman Empire and before, that whole section of Europe that we call the center for the white man's presence on the earth <clears throat> was, was quite literally ruled over, uh, ancient Europe was ruled over by a priesthood called the Druids. And the Druids were very, they were the, they were the ministers, the, the priests, the judges, the lawyers, uh, they were the religious leaders. So there was a priesthood that dominated Europe. It still does. Europe is still a Druidic country. And America is a Druidic country. And unless you understand the Druidic system, then you're never going to figure out what's going on in America and England. But one of the most important symbols in the Druid system was a magic wand, like Merlin, the magician with the magic wand, and also um, the orchestra leaders and conductors always have a magic wand. And you have better played the tune of the master. He directs you to play, and he directs you to stop with the magic wand. So you're dancing to his music, okay? Magic wands were always made out of the wood of a holly tree. It's made out of Hollywood. And Hollywood is a Druidic establishment. And the symbols, the words, the terms, the stories are designed. Think about it. Think about how Hollywood does what they do. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just explaining how Hollywood works. You have, first of all, a story so somebody has to write the story all right so now you've got a story now you have to give it to a screenwriter 
who's going to adapt that story, <clears throat> excuse me, adapt that story into a screenplay. Because you can't just tell the story, you have to design it to be a movie. Now once you do that, then you're going to have to have the actors, very important actors. Um, because they, you're going to need people to act the part. And, and so it doesn't mean that they, are, they, they actually have human feelings. No, no, they're being paid to act like they care, to act like they love someone, too. It's an act. And so you're paying actors to act out the part that the screenwriters have written, and you want to make sure the actors do it just right. So you have to have a director, and he's going to direct everything you say and do the way he wants it said. Then you have, of course, the producer, and he's also subjected to the executive producer who's producing the money. And so all of this is a whole system <clears throat> of putting together a system of a story <clears throat> that tells you a story. It, it, it causes you to think in terms of what you just saw so that people go out from the movie and think in their minds, this is the way you normally would react to a situation, the way that the guy in the movie did. And so that's why today, in the Western civilization, especially in the West, our, <clears throat> our ability to work with each other and live together as humans is so screwed up. Because we've been watching so much television and so many movies, and so much silliness coming out of Hollywood, so much violence and sex and drugs and all the rest of it, that people have no idea in the world how to live anymore. <clears throat> They've lost their humanity. Okay, so you're saying that in many ways, Hollywood movies and television are actually sort of doing behavior modification. Precisely. The nations over there, what, 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 they must know, surely. Yes, I don't think that they're stupid. I think that they think we are stupid. And, I mean, they're kind of right. I mean, sudden adult death syndrome, really? Uh, this is basically the new one. We had a couple of months ago, right, when it was Christmas, they said, oh, there are a lot of people dying from heart attacks, and it might be uh, because of the, the Christmas trees in your house. Uh, I've seen headlines where they said, oh, it's climate change that now causes all of these heart attacks. I've seen post-pandemic stress disorder is causing heart attacks. These people are laughing at us. They think that we're stupid. And, you know, the thing is, is I can't... I understand that a lot of people have trouble saying these things because, as you said, they will come after you when you try and uncover the truth. And also, it's very hard to speak out about the truth and say, hey, maybe we should call a spade a spade here and two plus two is four. And the only thing that changed in the past couple of months is the fact that everyone took this vaccine. You can't say that because there are no real studies for these correlations. You know, we just have suddenly all mm. these extra deaths and we know no we have no idea why but we do know that it's not the vaccine that's the one thing that they can tell you for sure we know essentially clinically tested the vaccine on billions of people worldwide see you hear obama obama all these people died Oh, the vaccine, and he pushing it. And y'all keep on, told you people that look like you, and it's because Obama is a handkerchief nigga. Negro. Obama is a handkerchief Negro. 
That's why you got to understand when you're dealing with these handkerchief Negroes, things going to happen and they put, they put the front up, like she said in the movie. Now, they got a handkerchief Negro to play the part of telling all the people in the world that the shot is great. Iraq has one of the largest customer bases in the entire Arab world. It has one of the world's largest supplies of oil, and it has one of the best educated workforces in the region. Today, Turkish, Chinese, French, Jordanian, Iranian companies are lining up to do business. But very honestly, we see too few American companies alongside our soldiers and our diplomats. Iraqis are looking to rebuild every sector of their economy. Uh, not only their oil sector, but agribusiness, transportation, housing, banking, and many others. And so it's time for the United States to start thinking of Iraq uh, as a business opportunity. And the sacrifice that the Iraqi people have made for your freedom uh, is one that we highly respect. According to the IMF, Iraq is projected to grow faster than China in the next two years. The decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq, I mean of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. anyway. Uh, <laughs> Financial assistance is also critically important, and I would like to thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for both financial packages you have already provided us with and the ones you may be willing to decide on. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. It's over. I'm through. Oh, 
you done. See, that's what he doing. America be doing everybody like that. They throw you a couple coins at you. And then and then when they throw them coins at you, then they butt fuck you. They butt buck you. You know what butt bucking is. And that's what they do. That's their policy, man. Do you know what this building is? This is the Federal Reserve Building. The Fed. This is where they their offices are. Do you know what you see in front of that? That is a fence. Do you know what's on top of the fence? It's barbed wire. When was it put up? Recently. So they put a fence up around the Federal Reserve Building. By the way, a lot of buildings in Washington, D.C. have fences around them now. The, but the Federal Reserve Building has a fence that took some effort and took some money to put that in intention to put this fence up that has barbed wire on top. Why? Are they concerned about people breaking into the Federal Reserve Building? That's not where they keep their money anyway. Really? What? What's the concern? I don't know. I'm just scratching my head looking at this thinking this is, to be honest, this is crazy. Or maybe they put it there so they wouldn't, wouldn't let the people inside out. How about that one? That makes sense to me because they're kind of crazy too. So you think, okay, I don't know what's going on, but it just looks weird to me. So when I saw this, I thought, I don't know what they're concerned about, but they're obviously concerned about something. Okay. If we were sitting on top of a volcano, the volcano being our debt as a country, or maybe even individually, you know, we get to a point where the volcano is big enough and explosive enough that it blows. And you see the people running down the hill scared that it's going to blow. Well, that's the correct response. But that's kind of where we are. And by the way, we're not the only country. Every developed country, every developed country in the world is similar to us. We're about the eighth worst. There are about seven developed countries worse than us when you measure it from a debt to GDP ratio. Nobody is sitting down, you know, politicians and uh, policymakers are sitting down figuring out in any country, figuring out how do we get rid of this? How do we not have debt? Because you and I understand the concept that we need to not have debt. If we have debt, we need to be in a process of paying it off or paying it down. We need to be focused on that. If we're not, if we just keep borrowing and borrowing, and borrowing, we know what the implications are. You're going to collapse. Financially, you're going to collapse. There's no way to create wealth that way. And there's no way to, to create growth. It's, it's, a, it's kind of an albatross around our neck. The, um, when I thought of this, I thought of the uh, verse in Proverbs 22 that says, the borrower is slave to the lender. Think about it. 
That's the way it works. And so it's a statement of avoiding borrowing money, both individually and as a country, unless we have to. If we're in a situation where we have to, then we borrow. I've been in those situations. Then find a way to pay it off, pay it down, pay the interest, pay the principal. Uh, that's the way it works. And so anyway, I just thought this uh, little cartoon was a depiction of kind of where we are as a country and maybe where some people are individually, but it's a statement about let's let's not do that. I, I, I can't find anybody where I live that is going to run on the platform of uh, paying off the debt or paying down the debt or not going borrowing money to pay our bills and just or even just paying the interest. But if I could find one, believe me, I would vote for him. Is in major debt, but the latest numbers show that the national debt of this country has surpassed $14 trillion for the first time. From June of 2010 to the end of the year, the United States managed to rack up another trillion dollars to its debt. Even scarier, this country is coming extremely close to reaching its statutory ceiling of $14.3 trillion set by Congress last year. So what's going to happen next? And will Congress increase the ceiling even more? Can the United States find a way to stop borrowing? Joining me to help discuss this is professor and economist Michael Hudson from our New York studio. So, Michael, let's talk numbers. Uh, the United States government borrows $2.6 million every single minute. Congress has raised the federal debt ceiling six times in the past three years. But some people are saying that this time, with the number of Tea Party candidates that just got elected, things might be different. Uh, what's your take? Do you think Congress will vote to raise the debt ceiling yet again? The important thing to realize is that uh, the government doesn't really borrow, it creates money. Uh, the role of a central bank is to finance the government deficit by printing money. So the whole issue about uh, whether the United States uh, has a, a debt problem is largely fictitious. The problem the United States has is the foreign debt problem, and that's not even being discussed. Uh, Michael, recently the chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, Austin Goolsby, said this about the debt limit. Take a listen. If we hit the debt ceiling, that's the essentially defaulting on our obligations, uh, which is totally unprecedented in American history. The impact on the economy would be catastrophic. How catastrophic would it be, in your opinion? Uh, it would be like stepping on a piece of gum and having to get it off your shoe. Uh, Adam Smith said in The Wealth of Nations that no government has ever repaid its debt. Uh, and you can say that uh, today. Nothing has changed. Uh, it would be a zero problem. People who talk like that are trying to frighten you. And when a politician tries to frighten you, you can think of, uh, what is it that he wants me to do? How am I being manipulated? Uh, this is pure ignorance, and it's obvious that uh, if Mr. Goolsby knew anything about money and credit, he wouldn't have anything to do with the University of Chicago to begin with. You know I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on their wrong. The police can kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. 
And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass don't wanna hear the truth. Try to act defended. Shit pitiful. If I was you, I'd be miserable. This war we fighting is spiritual. In other words, I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork. My words fly like darts work. Specifically designed to hit the target. They don't even want to teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless. I might not change the world, but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started. Many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this. Rest in peace to Marcus. Uh, got my eyes behind the scope, and I ain't taking number headshots. I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock.